I'm Kerry Herford-Jones and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to another edition in our series Explore Sailing Topics with Imre as I talk and meet up with more of the pilot book editors that actually work with Imre. Where do I start with today's guests? To say they are just authors would be a massive understatement. Not only do they know all the places to visit, but they can influence your culinary skills and choices on the way. Born in New Zealand, Rod Haeckel abandoned academic life in the UK and sailed a 1950s 20-foot plywood yacht down to the Med, where he worked in the charter market. Until, in ignorance of the scale of the task, he decided to write A Yachtsman's Guide to Greece. Over the past five decades, together with his wife Lou, they've produced a whole host of pilot books, covering everywhere from the Med to the Indian Ocean, along with many other books and novels. Lou met her husband when she joined him as crew on a trip between the Azores to Gibraltar. Many sea miles and a circumnavigation later, they have lived, loved and worked together for nearly 20 years. Now living on the Isle of Wight, when they're not on their beloved yacht Skylax, they work on books and cooking good food in the Keith Floyd tradition of one for the pot and one for the cookie. Welcome, Lou and Rod Haeckel. Thank you. <laughs> Lifted mainly, of course, from your own profiles. So I didn't write any of that, you did. But it, it obviously gives a really good flavour of the two of you. Not everybody knows you. And it's all about introducing the people uh, to the podcast. So, uh, Rod, let's start with you. Why get on a boat in the first place? Good question. I mean, I was in New Zealand and I did science at university first and then worked for two and a half years for, for a company then went back to university and did, did an arts degree. However, I was diagnosed with a fairly severe cancer while I was at university doing that second degree. Wow. And the prognosis wasn't good. You didn't have the internet in those days, but you did have the Dewey Decimal System in the university library. Yes. Uh, so my prognosis was not good. And I thought, I really ought to get across and see this Europe place while I can. Yeah. So I came across to the UK, fell out of love with, with writing a thesis and fell in love with going, stealing off down to the library, getting books on sailing. And I thought it'd be a good thing to sail down to the Mediterranean and see just what this place is about. Like you do. I mean, that just moment took you and, and then you went and got a, a very small boat and really clearly a baptism of ignorance. Absolutely. In fact, my partner at the time, Bridget, knew far more about sailing than I did. And she was rather more reluctant for this adventure. But jumping in at the deep end has its pitfalls. Thankfully, there were none that, that, that were fatal. You learn things very fast. And one of the things, because the boat was so simply equipped, I mean, it had no electricity for starters, so no batteries or anything, was... Wow. The navigation was done by a grid bearing compass, yeah. by gauging the speed of the boat as you went along. Yeah. And then later we added a hand bearing compass and some charts which were marked not for navigation. <laughs> so pilotage became something which was pretty important when you had such limited information. They often say if you can learn that way, then anything after that's a bonus and a benefit. Lou, uh, you've been sailing with now with Rob for, what, over two decades. Uh, clearly, he's inspired some confidence into you. 
but clearly you've got that love of sailing bug as well. Yeah, I was a little more conventional, I guess. My father was uh, a keen sailor, and so he instilled a love of the sea and and sailing into me at a, a pretty young age. And they got me into dinghy sailing as well when I was sort of old enough to go solo. And and then I guess while my father instilled the love, I have to thank my mother as well because she hid her own fears and ah. let me get on with it, which which, which I thank her for. <laughs> so. Rod, who who really inspired you to to get out and get on these long passages that you've now done, this circumnavigation you've done? How did that inspiration come about? Well, I think it comes from all sorts of diverse sources. When I got tired of, of trying to write this really boring thesis, which is not about the Mediterranean or anything else at all, I went down the library and I mean, there's the usual ones. There's the Hiscox, there's Roman Knox Johnson sure. uh, and um, Humphrey Barton. But in fact, it was some of the smaller ones, like Ernley Bradford after the war in Mother Goose and Charles Violet on uh, Nova Espera, which was a little 20-foot boat who sailed down to the Med. Ken Duxbury in Lugworm, which was a Drascom lugger that uh, he sailed around the Med in and then sailed back to the UK. And when I looked at these boats and their limited budgets, I thought, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> And you have. And Lou, from your perspective, some long old passages there. It's clearly been enjoyment in the main, but there's obviously been times when you thought, what on earth am I doing on this boat? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we all have those moments to a certain extent. But yeah, I think when on this first trip that I did with Rod coming across from the Azores, it was a pretty hard old trip. It was um, pretty hard on the wind six or seven days. Wow. And uh, Rod kept saying, oh, well, it'll get better, it'll get better. <laughs> but actually, I think actually there was a big chunk of sort of ignorance is bliss because yeah. I thought, well, it, actually, this is quite fun. <laughs> I like this. And the other thing, of course, is that sailors have famously short memories. You, yeah. know, you, you come in from a terrible passage and you think, I'm never, ever doing that again. <laughs> and then you have a meal and a, and, and a sleep and the next morning you're thinking, right, where are we going today? <laughs> And I love the fact that the old saw still applies of it'll get better. It'll be all right. Don't worry. I'm, I'm sure it's better today than it was yesterday. And you've clocked up a lot of mileage, Lou, over, this, over the last 20 years. We have. People often say, you know, how many miles have you done? And being totally honest, I have absolutely no idea. We sometimes look back at, at our old logbooks which brings you back to exactly where you were at that time, mm. because as well as all the nav information, we'll make comments in the logbook as to, to what's going on. And so often passages that you remember as being really calm and serene. So, for example, our trip from the Galapagos to the Marquesas, we both have in our memories as being really quite a nice trip. Yes. You know, it, was, yes. it both felt we handled it very well right and you look back in our logbook and 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 you're looking at the speeds we're doing and the weather conditions and it's kind of cloudy and pretty boisterous yeah. and you think oh okay <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was really like as opposed to the memory which plays tricks as you say and rod over that period of time clearly more memories more incidents you probably care to remember but the logbook's there to remind you a couple of, of really interesting memorable incidents that really stand out for you ha 
I think there are some passages in the Med which I've done in places like Greece or Turkey that I've done often, but I still love, you know, and I know you'll start off hard on the wind and it doesn't look like you're going to get to your destination. Yep. But eventually, actually, you can curve round on the same tack and get there because the wind will start to come round. Yeah. So, you know, there are those a few of those short passages Long passages, I do at times like um, going from the Tuamotos in the Pacific down to uh, Tahiti. And normally the Pacific is not like its name. There's a big swell running all the time. Right. But somehow on this time, the, the, the wind dropped, the sea magically dropped. You have to make your entrance through the reefs mm-hmm. with the tide and make sure you catch the tide. It could be quite fierce currents flowing in and out yes. of the atolls. Yeah. And uh, so I just said to Lou, why don't we just take down the sails? It's so calm. So we took down <laughs> the sails, cooked a nice meal, got wine glasses out. It was that wow. calm wow. in the middle of the ocean Goodness. and had dinner. Oh, that's just, that, see, that's a real memorable incident. But of course, from your perspective, Lou, do they match up with rods or do you have, you know, your own set, if you like? <laughs> oh, of course we remember those. We were kind of thinking on the sort of the other side of the memorable moments as well. And, and I think one of my worst sort of things was on passage across the Atlantic. I guess we left just after the arc. Right. And and so it was late November. Yeah. And the weather was getting progressively poor. We had SSB to receive the American forecasts. Yeah. And I think we hooked up with 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 a few others on the SSB net, but we didn't have any internet. Right. To get our own sort of forecasts, and yeah. so we were making up forecasts on a sort of made up paper chart from the American forecasts. And I guess the worst night was just the biggest waves i've ever seen and the amount of lightning Mm. just falling out of the sky was just so scary for me Mm. i can picture it now magnificent but frightening it was it i was terrified i thought Mm. i you know no two ways about it rob bless him was holding me together um and saying no it's okay you can do it because of course the autopilot in those sort of seas couldn't cope at all. And of so course. we were having to hand steer, you know, sort of all the time. And so I was going, I can't do it. And he's going, actually, you can. And actually, you can, you know, because you have to. So, so yeah, it wasn't until the following morning that we got news that it was Tropical Storm Peter. Oh, my goodness. Which was, I think, the first tropical storm in November in the Atlantic for... 100 years or something like that so uh, so uh, we then sort of took stock i think we we hove to for 12 hours or so to get yes. some rest and yeah on, on we went after that and sod's law that you were out in the middle of it well it's even stranger than that we were actually going across i said to lou we'd been together for a fair few years and i said why don't we get married you know but we'll do it in the caribbean oh. you have to sail back across the atlantic with me which is fine <laughs> But Peter, of course, is Lou's father's name. So it was like Peter was there going, uh, uh. trial for you before you get married. <laughs> if you can get through this, then you can get through anything that life throws at you. <laughs> uh, absolutely. We did. So we did. Well, that's absolutely brilliant. What a lovely story. And I think, you know, there's a message there, isn't there, about those of us that do run boats, operate boats as a couple, 
that it does, let's face it, put strains on any relationship in its own ways. But as a married couple, clearly when you've been together as long as you guys have, there's a depth of knowledge and understanding and trust of each other, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. One of the things, because you're doing a watch system, so through the night, 12 to 3, 3 to 6, 6 to 9, you know, Mm. and 9 to 12. Mm. And somebody coming up on the dog watch in the middle of the night with a cup of tea to take over your watch so you can go down and get three hours sleep. There is something very loving and magical about that. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, favourite places covered in you guys? I mean, we could spend the next four hours talking about that, and we're going to be talking to you at various times, I know, on these podcasts in more detail about some of the pilot books that you edit. But let's start with you, Lou, with one or two of your all, you know, if there's a Lou Haeckel's uh, top one or top two anchorages or ports what would they be and that's a really difficult question i know to ask uh, and to answer but it's really it like is almost impossible and, and uh, we'll always get a slightly different answer because it's obviously a question that that we are asked quite of a course. lot but but it's quite nice to try and think of different places that don't immediately come to mind and, yes. and, that, and that you think oh actually you know yes. and i guess sometimes it's about where you are when the question is asked and how yeah. long you it's been since you've been somewhere as well in this sort of remoteness. So I'm going to choose as as one of my favourites Amalfi and the and the Amalfi Coast nice. and the coast down down south from there. Yeah. It's just such a stunning place to, to sail into. It's all a sort of delightfully mishmash of birthing options and mm. that sort of thing. And you never know exactly where you're going to end up. Sure. But the place is just so pretty. Yeah. It, it's just so lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Why Why wouldn't you want to cruise there extensively? And the Amalfi Coast, I think, conjures up, doesn't it? Just the words conjure up azure blue skies and crystal clear water. And, and you know, whether it's the best cruising ground in the world, that's a matter of debate. But you conjure up some lovely thoughts there. And what about you, Rod? Oh, mine is always going to be in Greece or Turkey and yeah. the Eastern Med. It's it's where we come back to most often, although we do books for Italy and France as well. But it would probably be a place called Plaka. That's Plaka in Greek means beach. Right. But in fact, this is the, the beach. It's on the eastern side of the Peloponnese and the Aegean. It has huge towering mountains going up. But I love it because when I was first there running a flotilla uh, in 1978, we used to go down to this. There was only one taverna there at the time. <laughs> Gosh. And that taverna has always welcomed me back. Now, Nikali, who was the owner, uh, has died. So his daughter, right. Marguerite. But I've known Marguerite oh. since she was a, a young girl. Oh, wow. And, you know, it can be four or five years that yes. you haven't been there. And you get back there. Yeah. And, you know, it's like Marguerite goes, this is your home. <laughs> this is your home. You stay here. <laughs> And I think anywhere sailing in Greece has has got that kind of family connection because it's such a welcome down there, isn't it? I think that's the beauty with with sailing in Greece, such a welcome. What about then all the thousands of miles you've done, all the books that you now edit and influence and have in your heads? There's obviously been a number of challenges while you've been writing these. but and, And again, you mentioned this earlier about looking at both the positive and the negative sort of best and worst things that have happened whilst researching your books and one or two experiences from that would be good to know. I mean in the early days when I was first uh, in 1980 
although I've done some in 78, 79, but 1980, I did most of the research for Greek Waters Pilot. Right. And on Lesvos, in a place called Plumerium, I mean, I'd been stopped by the port police before and questioned about what I was doing. They were worried that I was a spy of some sort. Right. There wasn't that much tourism around. But anyway, in Plumerium, I actually got arrested and taken up to the police station. Oh, gosh. And they rang Athens, and then they're going, you know, this is bad, you're going to jail. Oh, my goodness. I, funnily enough, I'd helped out a German. Normally, I was by myself. Right. But I'd helped out a German yachtsman down the Peloponnese earlier in the year, Dietrich. And he said, can I come sailing with you over there? So he was around, but he'd gone off. When he couldn't find me, he came up to the police station and I was sitting there thinking, this is not a good place to be at the moment. I, I haven't talked my way out of this at all. Anyway, Dietrich walked in, looked around, and he changed. I had no idea what he did. Right. But he just changed and said, what's going on here? And then he pulled this card out of his pocket. And he said, I am a policeman. <gasps> Fantastic. And all of a sudden, everything changed, you know. <laughs> the policeman in there went... Oh, coffee? Cognac? Um, and Dietrich explained to me that he was, you know, he was wow. a policeman who actually did do stuff in Europe. So, you know, Gosh. it wasn't any old police card. Wow. And wow. I've always wanted one of those cards. <laughs> Literally, you'll get out of jail free card. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And Lou, you've had a couple of experiences, I'm sure, to say the least. Anything that stands uh, out for you? I mean, we, there are things that you sort of look back on. I think we were on a trip between heading down from Sardinia to Sicily. And it started off as a sort of normal, you know, sort of overnighter. And, and you sort of start off and it's all gentle and you're thinking, mm. oh, this is going to be a doddle. And then, of course, the gods look down and go, ha ha. And, <laughs> and it all gets a bit sort of rowdier. And, of course, it's three in the morning. And you think, OK, we better stick a, stick a reef or two in and, and, and get things back under control. And so we're pulling the big Genoa in on the, on the furler. And Rod suddenly says, no, don't let it out. He's shouting at me because obviously you have to shout because it's yeah. all quite noisy. Yeah. And I'm saying, I haven't. <laughs> and oh, and so, well, you know, I had the furling line in my hand. And, 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 and so we, we looked up and obviously the furling line had broken. Oh, my goodness. And so the boat's sort of bouncing up and down in the, in the fairly big old swell. Yeah. We scamper up the front and, you know, put basically the engine sort of ticking over ahead just to keep us yeah. into the wind and autopilot's on oh. and we're both up on the bow trying to sort of manhandle a 140% Genoa down oh onto goodness. the deck and uh, stop it going over the side and Gosh. while the while the sort of bow is disappearing into a wave every now and again. Oh. And, and so you sort of finally get it all done and tamed and strapped down and all that sort of yeah. thing. And you come yeah. back to the cockpit and you think, oh my, that was silly. <laughs> you know, no, I'm, I'm ashamed to say. No, no lifelines. No harnesses yeah. or, or tethers or, yeah. or, or anything, boat on autopilot. Oh. Oh, no. And you just think, okay, note to self, don't do that again. Yeah. And, and actually, I think, Pretty much, you know, it was a pretty big learning curve yeah. for us in terms yeah. of how it could have so easily yeah. gone wrong. Indeed, but that's that self-awareness again. It, it is often born out of experience, isn't it? Let's be honest. Uh, that's the way it works.
Yeah, we frankly were lucky enough to get away with it, I yeah. guess. Yeah, well, you know, but less, you have learned the lesson. That's the point. We all need to learn the lessons when we're out on our boats. <laughs> For uh, sure. For sure. <laughs> when we get eyes on them. So I need a sentence from each of you. Uh, and the question I have for you, and it's one that, that one or two, we've had a bit of feedback on these podcasts and people are always wanting to know is the best advice you've been given about uh, going sailing or getting out on the water. Have you got any pearls of wisdom for us? Yeah, I think the best advice I had was in this little 20-foot boat, Roulette, aptly named, by the way, which I sailed down. And in France, I was in a place called Martigues. Right. And I met a French guy there who was on a 30-foot steel boat, rough as anything. And he'd been across to the Caribbean and back. And I was saying, how do you do it? What about astronav? Oh, no, he said, I don't do astronav. Right. And I said, explain to me how you use a radio. But what he said to me, he said, always, wherever you are, he said, the nose is the most important. Mm. You have to smell things. You have to, to see what's happening. And so if you smell that something's wrong, then you stop and back off and work out what's going on. And he's right. You need this Great sort advice. of sense, yeah. whether it's your nose or just your head, yeah. for some situations you're in, in order that you don't do anything stupid and run into danger. Lou, what about you? I think the best advice I've ever heard, and one that we try and live by, is, is fairly simple. It's You put a reef in when you first think about it. If the wind's getting up and you're thinking, well, maybe we should put a reef in. Well, actually, that's the time probably to do it. Yeah. And if you're thinking, oh, maybe we should take that reef out, you have a cup of tea first. <laughs> Now, that is a very good bit of advice. How true. We all need to have those words ringing in our ears more often, though, I think. As cruising sailors, definitely. I think the racers would, would be horrified. Yeah, they'd have something to say about that, definitely. So, listen, we're getting to the end of today's podcast, and I think talking to you both, any conversation wouldn't be complete unless we talked food. Because clearly, from the sounds of it, you just heave to whenever you like just to get you know, the, the bottle of wine out. But I think there's probably more to your, more to your sailing than that. Because you've actually it's become a bit of a passion for you both, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. We both like cooking a lot. And there is this myth that somehow people on boats, on passage, open a can or have a Frey Bentos or cook up some sort of awful gumbo. And that's what they exist on. In yeah. fact, most of the people I've met on boats go to a great deal of trouble to have interesting meals, you know, and depending on where you are in the world, to make dishes which, to some extent, are not authentic, but Mm. reflect the ingredients which are around. We like cooking on board, and once you get used to it, there are are sort of little tricks and tips, but you can cook very good meals on board. Mm. I remember when it came to replacing our ancient cooker on Skylax. We actually did the roast chicken test. Right. Go on. Which I mean that we measured the height of an average chicken to roast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And made sure that there was enough space in the oven (laughs) to fit one in. And you didn't buy it unless it did. And and, 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 I mean, okay, we were lucky that we had enough space to squeeze in a fairly big cooker, but we both thought that was a pretty important thing. Talking about chickens, it can swing a whole thing. When you come up the Red Sea for two thirds of it, you're beating to windward in pretty strong winds. So 20 to 25 knots, true wind. So, you know, you're bashing to windward and it's a short sea. 
And anyway, we were coming up from Sudan, and I said, no, we're going to go all the way up to Port Galib. Anyway, Lou was getting a bit tight. You're tacking. One time you're on a tack across to Saudi Arabia, then you're on your opposite tack coming back to Sudan. Mm. We were halfway up there, and Lou was getting a bit tired of this. So she looked on the chart and found a place there in between the reefs called Shamluli. So as soon as I was off watch, you know, she said, there's this place called Shamluli, and I'm going, no, 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 we're going to Port Galib. She said, but yes, we've still got a chicken in the freezer, and I'll do roast potatoes and everything. I said, okay, we're away, here we go. It's good to know that bribery and corruption is still alive and well. And the one thing, we have to ask the question of you, Rod, in the first instance, I've got one for, for Lou as well, but the one for you, Rod, is that clearly, with your culinary head on, that you've come up with a bit of a, an extra additional element for anything with a bit of fish in it so uh, i gather it's ouzo is that right better than fennel oh I, yeah absolutely <laughs> ouzo with prawns with fish wow you know, not too much and funny enough i made it the other night and i put just a little bit too much in you have to put a little bit in and then taste it and see how it goes it could be any of those aniseed flavors raki yeah. ouzo brilliant french perno yeah, um, yeah. Was this one of those? <laughs> keeps, keeps better than fennel as well. I was going to say that's the win, isn't it? The problem is, it, is does it actually make it that long and into the journey? You know, do you, <laughs> <laughs> is, is it still in the rack? Um, and one for you then, Lou. Next time we're doing an ocean passage, I should be asking you to make sure you actually order the uh, the passion fruit for us. Is that right? <laughs> yes yeah that was a, a wonderful sort of accident i was provisioning in the galapagos and, and and hadn't been up to the market there before and so hadn't really specced it out but i was so excited to see all these wonderful fruit and veggies that i jumped in and the first thing i bought was this enormous sort of bag or what i thought was an enormous bag of passion fruit right and then a little further around the market, I saw just the best looking passion fruit I've ever seen. <laughs> and for breakfast, we tend to, on passages, we would make our own yogurt. And so we'd have fresh yogurt and muesli. And if we had a bit of fruit to go on the top, it was just perfect. And both of us love passion fruits and they keep pretty well. So, yeah, I got back from the market to, to Skylax and, and was handing stuff up to Rod. And, and he's going, more passion fruit? I said, no, 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 it'll be fine. And, but funnily enough, we it, it did work out fine. Amazingly, we had passion fruit on our breakfast muesli every morning all the way across the Pacific. Wow. See, it was a, a mistake that actually came good, often the way. And of course, you can just sit there and go, well, yeah, I actually ordered that much, that much anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah <laughs> maybe not now listen you, you know the impressive thing with you two is and i was looking in the latest imre 2021 catalog that actually you have over two pages of books that are credited to you i think two and a half pages of books how, how on earth do you find time to go sailing when you're doing the research for so many pilot books and so many other things that you're involved in the novels you do rod how do, you, how do you balance all of this? The pilot books really came about, you know, slowly. To be honest, after I'd done the Greek one, I thought I'd probably go back to New Zealand. Not sail, but on a, you know, oh, on right. a big silver bird. Yeah. But the publisher, Imre, Willie then at Imre, said, you know, well, I guess Italy's next. And I went, huh, OK. I actually have to work for another year on Flotilla because I didn't have any money. Yeah. But then the year after that, I went and did Italy. And it just sort of snowboard you get into a sort of system doing yeah. it yeah and you have to say 
It's not a bad office when you can sail around to Amalfi or Plaka and the Aegean or somewhere else and, and do stuff. And it's also a lot easier now, of course, because proofs can come out electronically as a PDF. Yes. yes. Whereas in the old days, of course, it came by post or courier. And what about plans for the future then, Lou? Where do you want to go next and why? When we can. <laughs> when we can. Anywhere. And yeah, yeah Rod said anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> the Isle of Wight's looking good. Oh, you're already there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not bad at the moment. But but yeah, well, obviously we'd like to get back out to Skylax. Who, she's in, in the Argolic Gulf in Greece. Plan A, I guess, is for one reason or another, we've been heading towards Turkey for a few years and, and not quite getting there. So that's plan a but we'll probably do a, a circuit of the aegean sort of on, on the way as we do yeah. and then we've got lots of friends and people there to go and see who we haven't seen for a few years so we're looking forward to that the gulf of gokova is one of both of our favorite sort of cruising areas as well it's it's just such a, a lovely sort of timeless spot to go and rekindle hmm. sort of gentleness of life yeah. i guess yeah. is one yeah. way of putting it but yeah and then we'll probably double back and come back across the region or probably around the bottom of the peloponnese beautiful well listen rod lou thank you so very much indeed for your time today for joining us it's been an absolute delight talking to you both i feel we could at least fill another five or six hours uh, of podcast material with the stories you have to tell i hope you've enjoyed it yeah no it's, it's good um, lou thank you so much for joining us today i hope you've enjoyed it I certainly have, Kerry. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you once again to our wonderful guest editors, Rod and Lou Haeckel, for joining me for today's podcast, Explore Sailing Topics with Imray. I hope today's guests have provided you with some inspiration. I know they have me, and have helped you to light the fire of your inner explorer 